Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Podcast on Radio Free Nashville 107.1 and 103.7, streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. I mean, we have watched so many of our friends crushed uh, and made to feel really terrible when all they have done really is stand up for people who are being flattened. I mean, people who are being bombed people who are being shot to pieces, people whose houses are being destroyed. That was Alice Walker, activist, poet, and author. And we will hear more from a webinar, Stand with Alice Walker, which features Alice. But first, my name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Just go to veteransforpeace.org. This radio show and podcast is, are on stations across the country, thanks to the Pacifica Radio Network. We are also on SoundCloud, Anchor Podcasts, Spotify, and your phone podcast app. Just search Veterans for Peace. The Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. While the mainstream media, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms are censoring voices of activism and dissent, we will continue to share those voices who stand up against the establishment, who stand up against the military, industrial, congressional media, corporate complex, who stand up for us, the global us. So in keeping with that, we are going to hear portions of a recent webinar that you can find on YouTube by just searching uh, Stand with Alice Walker. That features Alice Walker with guests Chris Hedges, Susan Abuhawa, and host Jeff Mackler of UNAC, United Anti-War Coalition. They will be discussing how Alice Walker was banned from a book show because she is being accused of being anti-Semitic. The timing of this now could not be more crucial because of the recent murder of American journalist Shireen Abdul-Akleh who was reporting for Al Jazeera on Israeli Defense Forces raid in the West Bank uh, city of Janine. Then those same Israeli forces disrupted the funeral procession, causing people to run for cover. So back to Alice. She has been a supporter of human rights and thus Palestinian rights and has been calling out actions like these and so many others for years. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Harvey because he has more about Alice Walker. What a uh, lifelong force she has been, as a, both as a writer, poet, uh, novelist, and public figure, and activist in pursuit of justice, not only civil rights movement, but... Uh, uh, Palestinian and other uh, marginalized peoples around the world, uh, and you know, her her uh, advocacy for these people has been a, a, a consistent part of her life, and something she's devoted a great deal of her energy to. And uh, so, I found a book of poems by her published in 2013 called The World Will Follow Joy, Turning Madness into Flowers. And I thought rather than try to list all the wonderful things she's done, I thought a couple of her poems would give some insight into the soul of this woman and try to see if people can reconcile that with these accusations of her being an anti-Semite. So there's one poem here I'm going to share. It's called Hope. And uh, immediately reminded me of what I've been seeing, uh, not in the mainstream media, but elsewhere about East Jerusalem, the evictions and the home demolitions as the Israelis are clearly attempting to uh, ethnically cleanse East Jerusalem. It's called Hope. Hope never to covet the neighbor's house with the fragrant garden from which a family has been driven by your soldiers. Mother, father, grandparents, toddler, dog, now homeless, huddled, holding on to each other, 
stunned and friendless beneath you in the street, sitting on cobblestones as if on the sofas inside that you have decided to clean, recover, and keep. Hope never to say yes to their misery. Hope never to gaze down into their faces from what used to be their rooftop. Hope never to believe this robbery will make you a better citizen of your new country as you unfurl and wave its recent flag that has been given to you to assure you of this impossibility. And one, one theme that she uh, really expresses, of course, this is directly related to the, the, the plight of Palestinians, but is the soul deadening power of that, of the oppressor, how they are victimized by what they do. And that's why she says, hope never to do this. Yeah. It will destroy you. Yeah. And so you're talking them. right to the oppressor. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, she's showing concern for the oppressor, really. Um, that's why I think it was a great idea that you had to actually play the whole webinar, or as much as we have time to. Here it is. I'd like to welcome our three panelists today, Susan Abu Abdul Hawa, Chris Hedges, and Alice Walker. We come together to discuss three issues. The first is the action of the Bay Area Book Festival in disinviting Alice Walker for their planned May 7th and 8th uh, annual book festival in Berkeley. On the grounds, they imply, if not state outright, that Alice Walker is an anti-Semite because she's a critic of Zionist Israel. So one theme is, and we're demanding uh, that they rescind that, they haven't, is um, our statement, anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. The second point is on censorship. Our um, meeting today is sponsored by Stan with Alice Walker. So with that, I want to announce, our first speaker is Susan Abdul-Hawa. Susan is a novelist, poet, and human rights and animal rights activist. She's the author of several books, including three novels, a poetry collection, and several anthologies. Her first novel, Mornings in Janine, was an international bestseller translated into 32 languages. That and her other works will likely make Susan Abdulhara, the most widely read Palestinian writer in the United States today. She's also the director of the Palestinian uh, Writers Literature Festival and has many other credentials. Welcome, Susan. Um, it's a privilege to be on this panel with Alice Walker, whose work has had a profound impact on my life. And also Chris Hedges, whose incisive intellectual moral clarity I have long admired. We're here, of course, to talk about the attempts to cancel Alice Walker. But I want to contextualize this moment in the larger frame of muzzling those who challenge hegemonic narratives and push the boundaries of sanctioned discourse. We know that power has an old and well-established habit of silencing, discrediting, marginalizing, and even eliminating such voices who frequently happen to be writers and activists. Sometimes the ultimate punishments are meted out by the state, like Israel's assassinations of journalists and writers, like Yasser Murtaja and Rassan Kenafani, or the undoing of Julian Assange's physical, mental, and psych psychological health in our government's relentless pursuit of him. There are also those like Darin Tatur, the young Palestinian writer who was imprisoned by Israel for a poem she published on Facebook. Israel dismantled her life until exile was her only option, all because of a poem. The Zionist program of muffling critics of Israel extend all over the world and is especially pernicious in the United States, 
where they have successfully pushed 35 states to pass anti-BDS laws that are meant to prevent US citizens from engaging in constitutionally protected political activism. These laws mean that individual Americans in these states who wish to boycott Israel, a foreign nation, will be criminalized or subject to various punishments, including loss of livelihood. Black and Palestinian American intellectuals are particular targets. The most infamous of these was the firing of Stephen Salaita, a brilliant and highly regarded scholar and thinker whose criticism of Israel put him in Zionist crosshairs. They destroyed his career, pursued and harangued him to Beirut, where he had secured a teaching job until they made sure he would become persona non grata in the, in the academic world. Helen Thomas was an iconic and pioneer, pioneering journalist who, like Alice Walker, broke barriers and paved the way for younger generations of women. She had her own reserved seat in the front row at the White House press room where she challenged successive administrations with biting and hard-hitting questions on pressing matters of the day. Seemingly, no subject could be off limits for her until she dared to challenge Zionism. She spoke the truth about Israel's influence in Washington, and she suggested that Zionist colonizers should leave Palestine and return to their own homelands in Poland and Ukraine and elsewhere from whence they came. She was nearly 90 years old at the time, but that did not stop Zionists from bullying her. They pursued her ruthlessly, ridiculing and disparaging her until she was stripped of her awards, shunned by the industry that she had transformed and left in despair and isolation in her final years. Zionists successfully lobbied the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute to withdraw an award for Angela Davis because of her refusal to capitulate also lobbying uh, charges of anti-Semitism against her. Imagine that Angela Davis, an icon of the civil rights movement, wasn't good enough to receive an award from a civil rights institute in the city where she grew up. It was only after popular uproar against this instance of Zionist bullying that the institute reinstated the award. Likewise, Mark Lamont Hill was fired from CNN uh, for his support of Palestine. In the UK, Jeremy Corbyn was the target of a highly organized and well-funded Zionist campaign to bring him down using absurd and bogus accusations of anti-Semitism, also for his support of Palestine. Nathan Robinson, a young columnist for The Guardian, was summarily fired from his job after he wrote an article questioning how the United States could pass a significant increase in military aid to Israel in the same bill that provided embarrassingly inadequate COVID relief for Americans at the height of the pandemic. Zionists mercilessly smeared Gunter Grass, a German poet and Nobel laureate, and Israel lobbied to have his Nobel Prize rescinded because of a poem, again, uh, where he argued that Germany should stop supplying Israel with nuclear submarines. Jimmy Carter, Desmond Tutu, Richard Falk, Boutros Ghali, the list goes on. Too many to list and even more that we don't know about because it happens out of public view. Israel's cancel machine has rooted itself in social media giants, most of which have signed agreements to remove pro-Palestinian uh, content on the pretext, again, of anti-Semitism. And here we are now again, in a moment where an American cultural icon is being disparaged with spurious charges of anti-Semitism. It is not an exaggeration to say that Alice Walker has played a pivotal role in the moral and social advancement of American society. It is thus a cynical distortion of our moral imagination to use the same word to describe her that we use to describe individuals who deface synagogues with swastikas or those who march and chant, Jews will not replace us. But weaponizing anti-Semitism has been a potent tool in Israel's global propaganda assaults. The Bay Area Book Festival said they don't believe Alice is anti-Semitic. Rather, they chose to disinvite her because she's friends with someone they charge with anti-Semitism. 
the absurdity of their assertion is matched only by its dishonesty. The truth is that the festival disinvited Alice Walker because they're answering to powerful people who cannot abide someone with Miss Walker's stature and cultural influence being critical of Israel, full stop. The truth is that her friendship with David Icke would not matter if Alice was a champion of Israel. I know this without a doubt, because sometimes writers say and do terrible things and never face such onslaughts. I've been to literature festivals all over the world, and I can tell you that some of the participants are overt racists. Some of them are unapologetic misogynists. Some are sexual predators. Some are warmongering agents of power. Some are Orientalists. A case in point is Tom Friedman. He was one of the media's biggest cheerleaders for the invasion of Iraq, which utterly eviscerated and de-developed that once high-functioning, glorious society of my youth. Since we're foc focusing today on literature, there used to be a saying in the Arab world when I was growing up that Lebanon and Egypt print so that Iraq can read because Iraqi readers accounted for the largest percentage of book sales in our region. The US invasion resulted in unprecedented and steep decline in Iraqi literacy, such that it was not uncommon later to find households in Iraq where mothers had PhDs while the daughters were barely literate. The de-development, death, disease, misery, and deconstruction of Iraq by the United States was total and unfathomably cruel. A decade later, even after most actors in that horrible imperial US adventure expressed regret, Tom Friedman was unrepentant. He told Charlie Rose on national television that the carnage in Iraq had to be done because Arabs, quote, needed to see American boys and girls going house to house from, Bras from Basra to Baghdad saying, well, suck on this, unquote. This racist Islamophobic man enjoys unfettered access to elite circles in publishing, book festivals, media, government, and more. Why? Because he's an insipid warmongering journalist who, who not only never truly challenges power, but because he actively promotes the death and destruction of brown people and cheers imperial projects especially Israeli colonialism and apartheid in Palestine. You can find many individuals like him at book festivals. So it is unconscionable and unforgivable for the literary community to acquiesce to this clearly organized Zionist campaign to besmirch the name of Alice Walker and tarnish her legacy, which has consistently been one of feminist empowerment, compassion, truth-telling no matter the cost, defiance, love, creativity, intellectual curiosity, introspection, and compassionate engagement with the world beyond her orbit. Whatever you think of Miss Walker or her work, she deserves our support against Zionist malevolence. What they're trying to do to a beloved author and elder is reprehensible, and whatever their excuse of the day might be, the real and only reason for their campaign against her is the same reason for their campaigns against other black intellectuals, simply her support for Palestinian liberation. As a Palestinian, I am deeply grateful for the friendship and bravery that Alice Walker has shown to our beleaguered, besieged and colonized nation over the years. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Our next speaker, I'm very proud that Chris Hedges is with us and that he has written a major piece in defense of Alice Walker, as he has always done in defense of beleaguered writers, intellectuals, and the causes of the people. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. I just wanna say I spent seven years in the Middle East. So I come out of that region. I was the Middle East Bureau Chief for the New York Times. I speak Arabic or I used to speak Arabic. It's kind of disappearing, uh, but I, I uh, so it's a region I know well, and, and months of my life were spent in Gaza. Uh, so the suffering of the Palestinians and the war crimes carried out by the Israelis are not abstractions to me. I reported on them uh, uh, day after day, week after week, month after month. I matched the lies that came out of Jerusalem 
Uh, they would carry out airstrikes uh, by F-16s on refugee camps and call it surgical strikes against bomb-making factories. And I was there uh, looking at the bodies of the children in an entire obliterated street. Uh, I wrote a story for Harper's Magazine uh, where I lived for 10 days in Hanayunis uh, and watched a Palestinian uh, uh, border patrol taunt in Arabic, uh, ta'al means come, come, and then issue all sorts of slang uh, 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 curse words. And these kids would, are talking about 10, 11 year old kids starting to throw rocks and then they would shoot them. That wasn't uh, conjecture. I got their names, I got the dates, I visited them in the hospital and in a few cases went to their funerals. Um, so I'm uh, intimately familiar with the horror of the occupation uh, and the brutal methods that are used by the apartheid state. They call it mowing the lawn, uh, the indiscriminate killing. We talk about what 180 kids in Ukraine who have died, which is of course a horrible crime. But uh, Susan, I think it was 2014 where we had what 521 Palestinian children who were murdered. Uh, the, those who defend the apartheid state of Israel, let's never forget, as Alice knows, that the closest ally of uh, the South African apartheid state was Israel up until the very end. Uh, uh, the South African uh, apartheid government gave Israel yellow cake, uh, and in return, uh, Israel helped them build a nuclear weapon. Uh, their security and military and intelligence service were completely fuse. There's a famous uh, uh, comment by uh, the South African government that the reason they're so close to Israel is because they're both surrounded by brown people. Uh, and that apartheid system, which Israel, I think, uh, very successfully in the early years uh, managed uh, through a compliant media um, and the kind of sympathy which should be uh, uh, delivered towards uh, people who were uh, victims or descended from the Holocaust has been exposed. Uh, the, 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 the brutality of the uh, Israeli state is no longer in contention around the world. Uh, it's become a pariah state. So what is their tactic? Their tactic is to destroy those towering literary, moral, intellectual figures. Alice Walker would be close to the top of my list who have the courage and have long had the courage to speak out on behalf of the Palestinians. Uh, they can't in any way confront the crimes. Uh, so what they do is they engage in these kinds of vicious smear campaigns. And uh, Susan, we should mention Norman Finkelstein is another one who's the son of a whole, he's been also completely hounded out of academia uh, because he has the courage to challenge the Zionist uh, narrative. Uh, and. Uh, I actually was made aware of uh, what happened in, in the uh, Bay Area Festival by Robert Shear, who's the editor of Shear Post, a, a wonderful uh, journalist, another legendary journalist, a former editor of Ramparts. He's the one who called me. This is how it all started. And so I went back and investigated what happened. And what happened was uh, there was uh, a journalist named Yar Rosenberg who wrote a hit piece on Alice a few years ago. Uh, and that was, I went back and tracked it, was picked up by Vox and all sorts of other media uncritically. And he used Ike uh, as a way to tar her as an anti-Semite. Uh, because of course, there's nothing in her life or her writing or anything she's ever said that would uh, characterize him. I mean, she's one of the fiercest uh, fighters, uh, anti-racist fighters we have. Uh, and, uh, and again, it followed that complete trajectory of those, the figures that Susan uh, mentioned. It doesn't matter whether it's Gunter Grass, they tried to get his Nobel Prize rescinded. Anyone who has the courage, especially if they have that, that moral and intellectual stature, then they become hit. Um, and so what uh, I called the festival, I contacted the festival uh, as to why they were doing this. They were doing this little dance that, uh, uh, she wasn't being, Alice wasn't being deplatformed because she was an anti-Semite. But then if you read their statement, they attack her for a poem that she wrote. I uh, sent Alice an email. I was an English major, uh, and uh, as I guess Alice was. And I said, oh my God, people, what's happened to the ability to actually read poetry? Uh, it, it, she's attacking, as she should, 
all of those hateful passages that are embedded in religious texts. And she talks about Islamic, Christian, and Jewish, and they're all there. I'm a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, and I, although I hide it, I'm actually an ordained Presbyterian minister. And the 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 uh, and 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 one of the first things those of us who care about justice uh, and and anti-racism have to do is disown those passages. Uh, and they are there. The the I, in my column you can read it. Uh, uh, it's on SharePost and it's on ChrisEdges.substack.com. Uh, but it, it, you know, I lit. There's a litany of, of righteous genocidal acts blessed by Yahweh, uh, and Paul, uh, you know, endorses not only endorses slavery. He says slaves should look at their masters as if they're Christ, uh, and, and all of that stuff has to be repudiated. And that's what she was raising. But of course, they selectively pulled uh, that passage uh, and distorted it and used it uh, viciously. Uh, and and so I went back and read the Ike. Now the inner Calvinist in me doesn't connect with Ike too much. I'm you know we were taught to footnote our sermons. Um, so, <laughs> but you know what I, I this is this is what appalled me that people were relying on uh, Rosenberg's uh, smear interpretation. He writes for uh, I think it's called the Jewish Chronicle, some online Jewish magazine I've never heard of. But uh, it was, it was uh, uh, you have to, I, and that's what I asked the festival, did you read it? You are claiming that you are uh, deplatforming this woman over the, this book and you haven't read it. I don't know why people like that are allowed to run book festivals. Uh, whatever you think of the New York Times, I couldn't have gotten away with that. I would have had, so I did read the book. Uh, it's not anti-Semitic. If you want to make a case that it's anti-Semitic, you at least have to quote accurately from it, uh, which he wasn't doing. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I think what bothered me is that everybody picked up on this, uh, he clearly had a bias, uh, he clearly had an agenda, uh, and everybody picked up on that uncritically and then used it to hammer uh, Alice. And he just actually, uh, I pulled up a post, he has a blog on the Atlantic, uh, and he, he said in here, this was on April 1st, he said uh, that he didn't think uh, Alice should be deplatformed. He thinks that every time she appears at a public event or is interviewed by a publication, she should be asked at the outset to account for her anti-Semitic utterances, i.e. every time she appears in public, we should carry out an inquisition uh, against an anti-Semitism that isn't there. Um, so, I mean, I think he's quite proud of, of what he's done. I just want to say as a writer and as, you know, a professor and somebody who cares about culture, uh, it's not just the the, the personal uh, assault against Alice, which angers me, uh, but it is a, it is an attempt to essentially once again allow these trolls, uh, you know, as Ibsen said, life is to war with trolls, uh, but to allow these people to uh, make steps that impoverish our culture, because by essentially removing Alice's voice, by discrediting her long body of work, what we're doing is eviscerating. Uh, our own culture. So I'm proud to be here. Alice Walker is one of, uh, you know, a literary, intellectual, and moral icon, and uh, and I'm very happy you're doing this and that you invited me. Thank you. Thank you, Chris Hedges. Well, Alice Walker is a Pulitzer Prize novelist. She's the author of The Color Purple. She's won the National Book Award. She's been honored with the O. Henry Award and the Mahmoud Darwish Literary Prize for Fiction. She was inducted into the California Hall of Fame in 2006 and received the Lenin Ono Peace Award in 2010. In 2007, Alice's personal papers were made available at, uh, to the public at Emory University in Georgia. She was subjected, she was the subject of an acclaimed documentary entitled Alice Walker, Beauty and Truth. This is the Alice Walker who has been, who is being pilloried as an anti-Semite. And when I talked to people who supported the book festival, they said to me, the book festival literally wrote on its website, well, we had to disinvite Alice because of what she said about Ike's, but we're willing to have Alice at a special book festival event where we can have our time 
to interrogate her as to her ideas. Alice declined, not only because of schedule conflict, but can you imagine the book festival putting in writing an invitation to a lifelong social justice, impeccable fighter for everyone's freedom, sitting her down in front of an audience and asking her why she is an anti-Semite. Unbelievable to interrogate Alice Walker. It's a terrible tragedy that the book festival has refused to rescind. It's a magnificent victory that 3,500 people have signed on to support Alice and to, and to support the boycott that we're organizing for the book festival, which is taking place this weekend. Alice, my dear friend, welcome. I feel your pain, but I also share with you and the other speakers the glory of your life's work. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. That was very beautiful, very strong, very brave. Took me all the way back to all those years trying to understand the world uh, from where I came from. Uh, it was very difficult to know that there were some good people somewhere in the world who would fight for justice <clears throat> and who did see the poverty of many of the people in the world and wanted to change that, wanted people to have what they needed. Part of what is so good for me uh, now is to feel <clears throat> the support of Susan, of Chris, of you, of Joe, um, because that is what is crucial now. Solidarity is just as important today as it was 40 years ago. Standing together, otherwise we have no chance. Uh, I feel looking at the way that our children, for instance, are being taken before our eyes with the gadgets. Uh, I feel that it's almost hopeless to get people to have a, a, a singular way of looking, you know, um, at, at what is coming to crush them. I mean, I don't want them to have a singular way of looking otherwise, really, I mean, because you need to look and see every, everything. But I want them to be able to recognize the danger that they're in. And so part of the, the feeling that I'm having is just gratitude uh, that all of you have gotten yourselves together to stand with me um, on this issue. It's an important issue. I mean, we have watched so many of our friends crushed uh, and made to feel really terrible when all they have done really is stand up for people who are being flattened, uh, literally. I mean, people who are being bombed, people who are being shot to pieces, people whose houses are being destroyed, <clears throat> you know, on their, over their heads. Um, and so I really am thinking more and more about what, what do we do now? I mean, what do we do now that we see the program as Susan laid it out so beautifully? Uh, when you stand, you know, alone often, uh, you're knocked over. <clears throat> And that's when the advice of Howard Zinn comes in handy. Uh, he, he said that what we have to remember is that when one person is standing alone, facing something horrific, you know, the, the attempt to basically erase them, uh, what matters is that someone, you know, just immediately goes and stands next to them and on and on and on. So that is our charge, to never let a, a person who is trying to change things, trying to help the people, trying to save the children, never let them stand alone. Always come to their aid, come to their side. Um, be that extra pair of eyes, those extra arms, uh, you know, that person who has half a sandwich to share. Sometimes we have very little food in some of these situations where we're trying to make changes. Uh, so with Palestine, I don't see that I could do anything but stand with the people there. I mean, I, you know, one of the times I was over there, I made the discovery that whereas in Georgia, they segregated, you know, pretty much everything, but they didn't segregate the roads. 
but in in Palestine, uh, Israel, they actually separate the roads. So the Palestinian driver who was driving us around was in fright because you know he had to stay on the road that was for Palestinians. And once we actually went on a road that uh, was for the Israelis, uh, he he was just he was so afraid. <clears throat> and having grown up in Georgia, where I recognized this fear from the segregationists and you know the lynchers there, it was it was incredible. I mean to realize that this same apartheid, the same segregation, the same oppression, although much, much, much more severe, is happening and has been happening to the Palestinian people for I think 75 years. This is a lot of turning away your vision. Uh, so that you can, I don't know what people think they get out of this. I mean, I, I hope it's not just money. But whatever it is, it is not enough. Your soul is more important. Um, so I thank you very much for, you know, this solidarity. Uh, and I want very much for this to continue because we are we're only beginning, really. We're only beginning. It's going to be a very intense struggle. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Alice. When I read the three statements of the Bay Area Book Festival, they all quoted publications which are supportive of the policies of Zionist Israel in general. They gave mm -hmm. the names of the publications and they repeated the insults. They pilloried Alice for describing a 12-foot lizard from Mars, as if she was referring to the Israeli people, as opposed to the horror, the image of horror perpetrated on oppressed people around the world. I would refer to the 1,000-foot lizard that drops and saturation bombs countries around the world and kills millions of people. Mm -hmm. President Biden said that the Iraq war was a mistake. The Secretary of State said it was a mistake. And yet this thousand foot lizard monster killed 1.5 million people mm -hmm. and 4 million in Vietnam and 80,000 in Nicaragua and 400,000 in Guatemala. Aren't we entitled to some literary license to describe the horrors inflicted on poor people around the world. That's Alice Walker, spent a lifetime doing that. We, we face a media power of unprecedented proportions. They want to bring Julian Assange to the United States for exposing war crimes. They want to bring Edward Snowden back to the United States for exposing war crimes and they want to keep the mouths closed of every single critic of their policy. From Chris Hedges, who was ripped off the air, to Alice Walker, to Finkelstein, to Angela Davis, and any other person who dares to tell the truth. Just in the last few days, three anti-war organizations have been banned from PayPal because the government or PayPal doesn't like their politics. So I would like to ask the speakers in any order, what's your state, what's your opinion of the nature of the censorship attack in the United States? And what do you think the reaction of the American people is to this massive censorship, to the creation of an Orwellian world that none of us believe exists. Since okay. I guess also six years of my shows just disappeared off of YouTube, not one of which was on Russia. Well, what's happened is we've undergone a corporate coup d'etat. Um, you have watched the oligarchic elites now fuse into one party, the Romneys, the Bushes, uh, they've all joined with the Democrats. Uh, and they're terrified of the rise of neo-fascism, uh, Christian fascism. I wrote a book called American Fascists, the Christian Right and the War on America. 
I was trying to reach out to them. Uh, and uh, it, 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 I didn't use the word fascist lightly. Uh, I come out of seminary. I, I have seen how they acculturated the worst uh, aspects of uh, imperialism and uh, white supremacy and capitalism uh, and sacralized it uh, with the Bible. It's complete. They're, they're heretics. Um, and you don't need to spend three years at Harvard Divinity School as I did to figure that out. Um, Jesus didn't come to make us rich. So these are frightening forces. Uh, and uh, But the response is essentially uh, uh, stagnation. Uh, and it reminds me of 1932 in Weimar, Germany, when uh, you saw von Papen, everybody's scared of the Nazis. They should be scared of the Nazis. Uh, and all they want to do, like Biden and everyone else and Pelosi, is recreate the Ancien Regime, which nobody wants. Uh, which created the kind of economic and social and political distortions that gave rise to fascism. Uh, and they're barreling towards, by their own admission, a horrendous defeat in the midterms. Uh, and they are expecting, uh, facing the specter of, uh, in uh, the next presidential elections, a Trump or a Trump, and no, it's a cult. The Republican Party now is a cult. So it's either going to be Trump or someone anointed by Trump, uh, Pompeo, I don't know, Cotton, somebody. Uh, and their response is censorship. So who do they censor? They censor critics, both on the left and the right. I happen to be on the left. Uh, and they first started hitting us with algorithms. That's what prop or not, propaganda or not, was about 200 sites, uh, and uh, was of which I, I wrote on those sites, Truth Dig originally before it shut down. Uh, so uh, uh, as the walls close in on a decayed, discredited, and corrupt elite. Um, their response is not to deal with the systemic issues that have created these distortions, but to censor. Uh, and so Alice is very right. It is going to get much worse uh, because that is their only response. Uh, and uh, we just saw Consortium News I mean, these are not outliers. Consortium News is run by Joe Loria, like me, an old newspaper guy. He was at the Wall Street Journal. I was at the New York Times, uh, uh, Mint Press, uh, AntiWar.com. That's right. These guys are playing for keeps. Uh, and they're, they're, they magically think that the problem will go away if they shut down the voices of their critics. What they're actually doing, and I was opposed, by the way, of removing Trump from Twitter uh, for this reason, because you don't want these opaque entities who know everything about us, we know nothing about them, to start uh, uh, carrying out this kind of wholesale censorship. I also knew that they would hardly stop with Alex Jones or Trump, and I didn't know I would be a victim so soon. Uh, so uh, the, the uh, you know the situation that we're going to face in the next literally weeks and months uh, is uh, is is very draconian and and uh and very frightening and by removing trump and these figures you're and again we can go back to weimar because remember the nazis were banned as a party and there was all sorts of uh, goebbels and every striker were all hauled off to jail for hate speech etc uh all it did was turn them into martyrs because there's so much anger at the dysfunction of the system itself hmm. thanks chris susan What's your comment on the depth of the censorship we see today? Um, you know, I think um, initially with uh, the emergence of technology, we felt this kind of um, euphoria over this more connected and open world that would allow us to organize. Um, and the, the corporate takeover that Chris describes um, is largely out of uh, out of public consciousness. I mean, people are not really uh, aware of the extent of censorship, and so they operate on this assumption that you know when they do a Google search, they're getting um, <clears throat> you know uh, they're getting what's really out there, uh, when in reality. The algorithms really, and I've, I've tested this on Google for a lot of searches, the algorithms kind of bend toward um, uh, state and hegemonic narratives. So, for example, like even, you know, uh, the situation in Ukraine, um, there's a lot of internal opposition to the Zelensky government. 
but you, you'll never find that doing a Google search for, uh, uh, for that. And you really have to dig, dig very deeply. Um, you know, uh, uh, during last year, during the Sheikh Jarrah, the, the violent evictions of Israel, Israel's violent evictions of Palestinian families from that Jerusalem neighborhood, um, Facebook had enforced a policy to remove pro-Palestinian content that mentioned the word Zionist or Zionism. And the effect was actually quite devastating uh, on organizers who were trying to, um, uh, you know, muster popular opposition to, you know, to this, this cruelty, this just uh, state policy of, of making whole generations homeless uh, because of their religion uh, and ethnic origins. Um, you know, I, 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 and I, and I fear it's only getting worse. I mean, there's, there's, there's no regulation uh, uh, of of this technology, not really. Um, and we can we see now with Musk's uh, purchase of Twitter that one man, one person, uh, can can be a gatekeeper for. Uh, for one of the biggest platforms of civil discourse. Um, and so it's, it's quite demoralizing after, you know, the initial sort of, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, euphoria of feeling connected and uh, open um, with the rest of the world to suddenly be in this situation where uh, you realize that no, not really. The traditional gatekeepers of what people get to see and hear um, have actually uh, um, gained an even larger hold on um, uh, on on what on the information that shapes popular opinions. Um, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish I had answers, but, you know, the reality feels quite grim to me, to be honest. Alice, what's your view on the depth of the censorship? Do you feel it in your everyday life? In my everyday life, um, you know, I'm such an earthling. It will be really hard to mute me, to cancel me. I am, um, you know, I, I just, it's hard to relate in a way, truthfully. You know, I, I think of people canceling me or not inviting me somewhere. And honestly, most of the time, I'm glad not to go. I mean, I really prefer to be at home with my dog, you know, planting something. Um, I feel very intensely that what is happening is that we are losing the planet right from under our feet. And so I feel, you know, that uh, this, this shimmera, this thing that they create out there that they think is me, uh, is really missing me. I mean, it, it, it is, um, it's almost um, a spiritual discussion that we could have about that, you know, about how people are constantly trying to destroy you uh, it, it's like the image that comes to mind is, is uh, I think it's in the Gnostic Gospels, where Jesus, as he is being crucified, is basically laughing and ascending to heaven, you know? I mean, there, there's that way of looking at a lot of this. It's not to say we don't have to continue to struggle. We do. But there's also the realization that, you know, these beings are missing the boat while destroying it or attempting to destroy it because the real life on this planet is with the planet is literally with the earth and so i spend you know what time i have uh enjoying that connection uh and so in a way if they don't come and drag me out of my garden um you know i'm i'm gonna just keep doing what i do and being very grateful uh, that I can. And what you do, writing 50 
books of poetry, <laughs> short stories, <laughs> novels, and championing every cause is more than most do in a lifetime. We're very, very proud of what you did. That's why we're here. So with that, final remarks of a couple of minutes and we'll call it a day. Oh, first of all, I mean, thank you for, for pulling this together. Um, I think, you know, in general, uh, nobody should be policing uh, the boundaries of, uh, of curiosity and, and creative inquiry, especially of, of writers. Um, the, the extent of, um, of censorship, and this is something I wanted to mention um, uh, earlier, uh, is such that the internet is actually um, being turned around and used um, as a weapon. Uh, and if I may, I'll give you know, uh, something that happened to my daughter recently as an example. Um, there are websites that uh, profile activists and um, present them in such a light that, sh that makes them look like monsters. There's one in particular called Canary Mission that targets Palestinian activists and pro-Palestinian activists. Um, with the aim of making them, uh, you know, uh, of showing that to employers and, and having them lose their jobs, uh, which is something that happened to my daughter and is happening to young people all over the country. Um, this the, the, this um, cancellation machine, although it spans uh, all you know, different aspects, different uh, issues that people disagree on. It is truly most egregious and um, and and extraordinary, really, in its breadth and reach, um, in in so many directions. Is is especially uh, um, just insane when it comes to Zionist silencing of Palestinians. I mean, it feels like. Um, you know, the, the, and this is the reality for Palestinians on the ground fighting, you know, every, in every direction they turn, there's, there's somebody, you know, pummeling them uh, with one stick or another, uh, literally or, or figuratively. And the same is happening to Palestinian activism here. But with this, I, I, I don't despair as much because um, we have shown that um, continuing to raise our voices, uh, uh, continuing to display the kinds of bravery that people like Alice and, and others who, um, who refuse to capitulate demonstrate um, is having an effect. And, uh, and it is turning the tides and, and history shows us that um, this is how this is how tides turn in, in these small incremental um, conversations and actions like the one we're having today. Um, and I'm very proud and happy to be part of this. So thank you for including me, Jeff. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, Susan's right. Um, they've lost the argument, the moral argument. Uh, I uh, visit college campuses and speak. Uh, and I, when I spoke, I was there the week uh, after at Northeastern when they banned students uh, for justice in Palestine. They banned them the same way. They, uh, and, and every time I meet with those groups, you know, a third of, or more of them are Jewish. Uh, so they've lost the argument. Uh, and that's why a, a BDS may not have been successful, which I, all of us support, of course, uh, in the same way we supported sanctions against the apartheid regime in South Africa. Um, it may not have gotten universities to divest, uh, but it essentially educated entire generations uh, now within these college campuses, which is why they're frightened. And I just point out that uh, the Israeli government is quite uh, aware of that uh, collapse of support, especially among a new generation of 
Jews in the United States, which is why it makes an alliance with the real anti-Semites, the Christian fascists. I mean, this is kind of the great irony, uh, not though when you look at Israeli history with South Africa, I mean, they were arming, Israel was arming Rhodesia. Uh, so, um, but that, that, that shows, I think, the moral kind of bankruptcy, uh, uh, number one of, of, of the Israel lobby and their supporters, but I think it also illustrates the fact that um, they don't have an argument to make. They've been found out. I just want to close by saying, you know, I covered conflicts for 20 years in Latin America, seven years in the Middle East. I covered the war in the former Yugoslavia, uh, six years in Latin America and, and Africa. And what I noticed in, in disintegrating societies is that they always destroy their own culture first. Those cultural icons, those people who have the courage to speak truth. Uh, who, who don't engage in the kind of nationalist cant. Those were the first targets. I saw that in Yugoslavia. Uh, so it would be Croatian dissidents or Serbian dissidents like the Belgrade Circle, or uh, uh, those were the ones they went after. And I think that's what we're watching here. Um, it, it's, it, it's not limited to uh, taking down Alice because of her support for Palestinians. It's part of a broader destruction of culture uh, and the rise of a new kind of despotism, which uh, Sheldon Wolin called inverted totalitarianism. You can read his book on it, uh, but I, uh, he was Cornell West mentor at Princeton, by the way, Democracy Incorporated. But I think that that is part of this process, uh, that uh, titanic intellectual, artistic and moral figures uh, uh, threaten, uh, beyond the debate about Palestine, threaten the despotism that we're barreling towards. And I think that going after Alice is part of that process. Alice, please. Yes, I would like to, uh, because everybody is saying, okay, what, what can we do? And it has been a couple of years since we've been able to gather together without, you know, fear. I think this is a time to go back to where we were in terms of circling. We have to come together. This is very simple, very ancient, but we have to be in a circle of people who want to know the truth and they want to be free. So your house, your living room is the perfect place. Call all your friends and all the friends of your friends and gather and, and just get down with all of this and see what you think, what you feel, and what you can do from a place of centeredness. It's really important that we be centered in what we believe and what we hope for. Um, so that's what I would say, you know, at the end of this wonderful time with all of you, for which I am so appreciative. I love all of you so much, thank you. Thank you, Alice Walker. Thank you, Chris Hedges. Thank you, Susan Abdulhawa. That was a portion of the webinar that you can find on YouTube called Stand with Alice Walker. So instead of finishing up with a song this time, we're just going to finish up with another one of Alice's poems. Here's Harvey. Why peace is always a good idea. Because you could plant peace trees. And because of peace, you could eat them in five or six years. Peaches, not trees. And your children could eat them after you're gone. And because you could not see a friend for a long, long time. But because there is peace, you would not lose them forever, but see them the next time they come to town. You could go ice skating or roller skating and no guns would go off, scaring you. You could grow old and have a nice long beard and no rockets would appear to set fire to it. You could swim in the ocean, see turtles and whales, and nothing would interrupt you, even if you fell asleep on your back. Not a single bomb would be going off anywhere, and people would let you drift to shore, and then they'd wake you with music and some food that would be strange to you, but so delicious. They'd want you to like their peaceful land. They'd want to learn about yours. Peace is great for this sort of thing. And when you went home, there would be a whole house intact waiting for you. Your room, warm and cozy, 
your dog happy to see you and everything. Even the cat might take a look at you seriously as if she cared. All this can happen in peace, never in war. That's why peace is always a good idea.